section four of richmond national battlefield park virginia by joseph p cullen this librivox recording is in the public domain part two the final struggle for richmond eighteen sixty four sixty five section four lincoln's new commander in march eighteen sixty four president lincoln appointed general ulysses s grant as commanding general of all the union armies said grant in the east the opposing forces stood in substantially the same relations toward each other as three years before or when the war began they were both between the federal and confederate capitals battles had been fought of as great severity as had ever been known in war from the james river to gettysburg with indecisive results he hoped to change this situation by putting pressure on all confederate armies at the same time something that had never been done before grant's plan called for general benjamin f butler to march up the south side of the james and attack petersburg or richmond or both general franz siegel to push down the shenandoah valley driving general jubal early before him thereby protecting washington general nathaniel banks in new orleans to march on mobile general william t sherman to cut across georgia driving johnston before him take atlanta and if necessary swing north to richmond meade's army of the potomac with grant in command to push lee's army of northern virginia and capture richmond as grant stated lee with the capital of the confederacy was the main end to which all were working lee's objective now was to stop grant and protect richmond said lee we must destroy this army of grant's before he gets to the james river if he gets there it will become a siege and then it will be a mere question of time the campaign started in the spring of eighteen sixty four when the army of the potomac crossed the rapidan river and the army of northern virginia blocked its path at the wilderness after a particularly vicious and costly battle grant instead of retreating to lick his wounds as other federal commanders had done executed a left flank movement still heading south and trying to get between lee and richmond a few days later the two armies clashed again at spotsylvania in a series of grim battles but still indecisive as far as major objectives were concerned although grant's losses were staggering he was slowly but methodically destroying lee's ability to wage offensive war again grant executed a left flank movement to get around lee and then by a series of flanking marches which the confederate soldiers called the sidling movement and the union soldiers the jug handle movement grant gradually worked his way down to cold harbor cold harbor where and what was cold harbor cold harbor was a seedy-looking tavern squatting by a dusty crossroads eight miles from richmond on the flat featureless plain intersected by hundreds of small creeks gullies and swamps that is characteristic of the land between the pamunkey and the chickahominy rivers there wasn't a harbor for miles and it was anything but cold it was the only cold harbor in the united states although there were many cold harbors on the stagecoat routes along the thames river in england the name indicated a place to get a bed for the night and something cold to drink but not hot meals but these dusty crossroads were strategically important if grant was to attack richmond and both lee and grant realized it 
also it was grant's last chance to continue his strategy of trying to get between lee and richmond any more flanking movements and lee would be in the entrenchments around the confederate capital where grant did not want to fight him as grant stated richmond was fortified and entrenched so perfectly that one man inside to defend was more than equal to five outside besieging or assaulting it is significant that lee also did not want to fight in the entrenchments around richmond there he would be on the defensive and in such a position could not possibly destroy grant's army so both commanders were willing for the test and what of the lowly foot-soldier the unsung hero in the ranks the poor bloody infantryman was he ready for the awful test to the average soldier this whole campaign was fast becoming just a series of hazy indistinct recollections like the fragments of a half-forgotten dream long columns of sweat-soaked soldiers marching over hills and rivers and swamps across ploughed fields and cornfields down endless dusty roads through dark lonely woods thirty days of marching by night and fighting by day until it must have seemed to them that the only things left in life were stupefying fatigue merciless heat choking dust smoke and noise mud and blood in the union ranks many of the men began to find out for the first time what hunger really was they had moved so fast and so often the ration wagons were left far behind hardtack was selling for a dollar apiece if you could find a seller and here at cold harbor the soldiers wrote their names and regiments on pieces of paper and pinned or sewed them to the inside of their dirty blouses with the forlorn hope that if and when they were killed someone might take the time to find out who they were to these barefoot ragged veterans hunger had been a constant companion for a long time but at cold harbor they approached starvation a confederate sergeant recorded in his diary when we reached cold harbor the command to which i belonged had been marching almost continuously day and night for more than fifty hours without food and for the first time we knew what actual starvation was when scurvy appeared among the men owing primarily to a lack of fresh vegetables lee advised them to eat the roots of the sassafras and wild grape if they could find any in the race for initial possession of the crossroads at cold harbor lee's cavalry won by a few hours but in the afternoon of may thirty one general philip sheridan's cavalry drove them out and held the crossroads until relieved by the federal sixth corps under general horatio wright most of sheridan's troops were armed with the new spencer repeating carbine which made dismounted cavalrymen effective infantry the next morning june one lee through general richard anderson's corps longstreet's old corps longstreet having been wounded in the wilderness against the federal sixth corps in a bold attempt to seize the crossroads and roll up grant's left flank before he could reinforce it but anderson was repulsed grant then moved the eighteenth corps under baldy smith which he had borrowed from butler's army bottled up on the south side of the james over to the right of the sixth corps that afternoon they attacked anderson now supported by general robert hoke's division the assault failed to break the confederate line but it did bend it back in several places 
grant believed that with a greater concentration a breakthrough could be achieved consequently he ordered the second corps under general winfield hancock over to the left of the sixth corps between it and the chickahominy river and planned an all-out attack by the three corps for the morning of june two anticipating the move lee put a p hill supported by general john breckinridge's division over to his right between anderson and the chickahominy and waited the expected attack failed to materialize however hancock got lost in the woods and swamps moving to his assigned position and after an all-night forced march men were too exhausted to mount an attack any chance the assault might have had for success was now gone the delay was fortunate for lee because breckinridge also got lost and was not in position to support hill on the morning of june two the attack was then ordered for that afternoon but again postponed until four thirty the morning of june five and each corps commander received a telegram from grant's headquarters that read corps commanders will employ the interim in making examinations of the ground in their front and perfecting arrangements for the assault lee's veterans took advantage of this fatal twenty-four hour delay to entrench themselves quickly and effectively using every creek gully ravine and swamp in such fashion that all approaches to their positions could be covered with a murderous fire a newspaper reporter present at cold harbor wrote a vivid description of these entrenchments they are intricate zigzagged lines within lines lines protecting flanks of lines lines built to enfilade opposing lines works within works and works outside works each laid out with some definite design lee needed this strong position he would fight at cold harbor without a reserve he wrote to jefferson davis if i shorten my lines to provide a reserve he will turn me if i weaken my lines to provide a reserve he will break them grant's battle plan was relatively uncomplicated it was essentially a simple frontal assault hancock's second corps and wright's sixth corps between the chickahominy and the cold harbor road now state route one fifty six together with smith's eighteenth corps north of the road were to attack all out and break the confederate lines general governor warren's five corps north of the eighteen was to be held in reserve while burnside's ninth corps on grant's extreme right was not to enter the fight unless lee weakened his line in that sector and then it would attack supported by the five corps lee did not strengthen any part of his line so these two corps were not engaged to any appreciable extent thus the battle actually took place on approximately a two-and-a-half-mile front although the army stretched for six miles from south to north with the union army facing west grant's total strength was over a hundred thousand men but less than fifty thousand were actually engaged in the struggle lee now had a p hill supported by breckinridge on his south flank next to the chickahominy opposite hancock and wright Hoke's division straddled the Cold Harbor Road with General Joseph Kershaw's division just north of Hoke, then Anderson and General Richard Ewell's corps. Lee's total strength consisted of less than 60,000 men, but only about half were involved in the action of June 3. It rained all night the night of June 2. 
toward morning the heavy rain died to a soft sticky mist that held the area in clammy fingers the first gray streaks of dawn warned of the approach of a scorching sun that would turn the rain-soaked plain with its myriad streams and swamps into a steaming cauldron promptly at four thirty the three corps jumped off to the attack knowing nothing of the strength of the confederate positions they would have to face the corps commanders had ignored grant's telegraphed order of the previous afternoon and no proper reconnaissance was made the average soldier saw little in any battle in the civil war and even less at cold harbor because of the terrain but as the first yellow rays of the sun shifted the gray mists most of the union soldiers could see the main line of confederate entrenchments across the open spaces in front of them a tracing of raw earth that had been turned up like a huge furrow along a line of uneven ridges looking empty but strangely ominous here and there bright regimental colors perched insolently on the dirt hills suddenly it seemed the line was dotted with black slouch hats and glistening bayonets yellow sheets of flame flashed from end to end then disappeared in a heavy cloud of smoke regiment after regiment exploded into action with a metallic roar gigantic crashes of artillery split the air shells screamed overhead like a pack of banshees exploding in clouds of earth horses and men the noise roared to a crescendo with a volume of sound that left the men dazed and confused one veteran said it was more like a volcanic blast than a battle it was over in less than thirty minutes but seven thousand killed and wounded union soldiers were left lying in the sun between the trenches said one general sadly in that little period more men fell bleeding as they advanced than in any other like period of time throughout the war those not already killed or wounded threw themselves on the ground and desperately heaped up little mounds of earth in front of them with bayonets spoons cups and broken canteens they could neither advance nor retreat nothing standing could live long in that hail of lead and iron they just dug in and stayed there a peculiar thing about the battle came to light afterwards the three corps commanders sent identical telegrams to grant's headquarters each accusing the other of not supporting him in the attack later it was discovered what had actually happened hancock on the left had veered to his left because of the heavy fire from there and the peculiarities of the terrain wright in the centre had gone straight ahead and smith on the right bore off to his right because of swamps and ravines so the farther they advanced the more separated they became and the more their flanks were left open to a deadly cross-fire no other major assault was attempted by either army although the troops stayed in the hot filthy trenches until june twelve with constant nerve-wracking sharpshooting and skirmishing from june one to twelve the union losses totaled twelve thousand seven hundred confederate losses were estimated at between one thousand five hundred and two thousand cold harbor proved to be lee's last major victory in the field and although it was a military zero so far as grant was concerned it turned out to be one of the most important and significant battles fought during the civil war the results of this battle changed the course of the war in the east from a war of maneuver to a war of siege 
it also influenced the strategy and tactics of future wars by showing that well-selected well-manned entrenchments adequately supported by artillery were practically impregnable to frontal assaults on june five grant decided to bypass richmond cross the james and attack petersburg an important railway center twenty-five miles south of the confederate capital this would still keep lee's army pinned down and if successful would cut communications between richmond and the rest of the confederacy on june six he withdrew warren's five corps from the lines and used it to secure the passages across the chickahominy and down to the james on june seven he sent sheridan with two divisions of cavalry back into the shenandoah valley against early to counter this lee was forced to send general wade hampton's cavalry after sheridan which in effect left lee without adequate cavalry during the night of june twelve grant secretly moved all the troops out of the trenches at cold harbor without lee's being aware of the move until the following morning and by june sixteen the army of the potomac of over a hundred thousand men five thousand wagons two thousand eight hundred head of cattle and twenty five thousand horses and mules were all safely across the james river richmond was saved for another ten months fort harrison in the pre-dawn darkness of september twenty nine grant quietly slipped general david burney's tenth corps and general edward ord's eighteenth corps back across the james in a surprise move against the outer defenses of richmond the primary purpose was to prevent lee from reinforcing early in the shenandoah valley if however any weakness was discovered it could be exploited fully and it might force lee to weaken some part of the petersburg line shortly after daybreak general george stannard's division of the eighteenth corps successfully stormed heavily armed but badly undermanned fort harrison on the varina road general hiram burnham commanding the leading brigade was killed in the assault and the union forces renamed the captured fort for him a mile and a half farther north general adelbert ames division of the tenth corps was repulsed in a similar attack on another fortification fort gilmer on the new market road general lee regarded the loss of fort harrison as serious enough to demand his personal attention the next day with reinforcements rushed from petersburg he directed several vigorous assaults against the fort however the union forces had closed in the rear and strengthened it and armed with new repeating rifles successfully beat back the attacks and inflicted heavy losses on the confederates the fall of fort harrison forced lee to draw back that part of his outer line and to build new entrenchments to compensate for the loss it also forced him to extend his line north of the james thus weakening his already dangerously undermanned defenses in front of petersburg the union forces to protect their position further and to neutralize confederate gunboats constructed fort brady a few miles south of fort burnham harrison on a high bluff overlooking the james river 
no further serious efforts were made to enter richmond from the north side of the james and the two armies faced each other in these respective positions until grant finally broke lee's lines at petersburg on april one eighteen sixty five forcing the confederates to abandon richmond End of section four